This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. It's Sunday, August 4th. I'm Major Garrett, and this is Face the Nation. 29 people are dead following two mass shootings in less than 14 hours. And Americans find themselves asking, again, the painful questions. Why? What can be done? And what is going wrong? The first mass shooting occurred in El Paso, Texas. A gunman killed 20 and injured 26 at a busy shopping center. We will have the latest from El Paso and more about what motivated a massacre authorities say appears to be a hate crime. Thoughts like this, actions like this, crimes like this are not who or what Texas is and will not be accepted here. The second mass shooting occurred overnight in Dayton, Ohio. Nine are dead, plus the gunman. The shooting took place in a popular Dayton Entertainment District. Police were patrolling as usual and neutralized the shooter in less than one minute. Dayton Mayor Nan Whaley. Clearly the question has to be raised. Why does Dayton have to be the 250th mass shooting in America? We will get the latest from Ohio Democratic Senator Sherrod Brown. Democratic presidential candidate Beto O'Rourke canceled his campaign events to head home to El Paso. I'm incredibly sad and it is very hard to think about this we will talk with him and republican congressman will hurt whose congressional district is near el paso president trump called the el paso shooting quote an act of cowardice earlier this week the president stepped up his attacks on american cities the homicide rate in baltimore is significantly higher than el salvador honduras Guatemala. We will hear from South Carolina Republican Senator Tim Scott about what can be done to help these communities. As always, we will bring you analysis on all the news of the week coming up on Face the Nation. Welcome to Face the Nation. Margaret is off today. It is a grim Sunday morning as we woke up to the news of yet another mass shooting in this country. This one in Dayton, Ohio. Dean Reynolds will join us in a moment for more on that. But we begin in El Paso with CBS News correspondent Janet Shamlian. Good morning, Major. It's an active crime scene at this Walmart today, which has become the deadliest mass shooting in America since the massacre at a Texas church in 2017. Investigators are now looking at motive and whether this was a hate crime. A chilling image that police say is the gunman on surveillance camera walking into a Walmart carrying an AK-47 style assault rifle and wearing noise muffling headphones. And then this. Cell phone video captured the rapid fire shots as a man hides under a table. Others record the heart stopping chaos. AK, somebody's got shot. Police say the Walmart was at capacity packed with families shopping for back to school. Everyone that carries a badge in this town pretty much showed up to that particular scene. Police say the gunman surrendered to police. 21-year-old Patrick Crucius is from the Dallas area, a nine-hour drive away. The store is just miles from the border and attracts shoppers from Mexico. Detectives have found what's been described as an anti-immigrant manifesto posted online but have not confirmed it was authored by the gunman. This is disgusting intolerable. It's not Texan. And we are going to aggressively prosecute it both as capital murder, but also as a hate crime, which is exactly what it appears to be without having seen all the evidence yet. More than two dozen hurt, many of them in critical condition. I've been here 22 years. This is by far the biggest shooting event that I've been involved in. An urgent plea for blood donations delivered thousands of volunteers waiting in long lines in triple-digit heat. A heartbroken community desperate to help. 
The injured are at several El Paso hospitals today. We are told that a number of them are in critical condition and children are among those badly injured. Major. Janet Shamley, and thank you. We go now to Dean Reynolds, who is at the Cincinnati airport on the way to Dayton, Ohio. Dean, what can you tell us? Well, Major, this all began about 1 o'clock this morning in what's called the Oregon District of Dayton. It's sort of a trendy nightlife area, popular with young people. Uh, and it was full of young people and uh, tourists and so forth at that time when a gunman, a lone gunman, we are told, approached carrying a big weapon and multiple high-capacity magazines. He opened fire, killing nine people uh, before the police uh, could subdue him and kill him. At least 26 people have been wounded in the attack, we are told. And the mayor, Nan Whaley of Dayton, said the situation could have been much worse. Let's listen to what she said. In less than one minute, in less than one minute, Dayton first responders neutralized the shooter. Well, this is a terribly sad day for our city. I am amazed by the quick response of Dayton police that saved literally hundreds of lives. Now, it's important to remember that Dayton, the city, is recovering from a series of tornadoes that struck here in uh, Memorial Day, over the Memorial Day weekend, and destroyed hundreds of properties. So this has been a very, very trying time for the city of Dayton, and this just makes matters even worse. Major? Dean Reynolds, thank you. We turn now to Ohio Democratic Senator Sherrod Brown. He is in Cleveland, but will soon be making his way to Dayton. Senator Brown, good morning. I want to ask you. Thank you. Uh, the authorities will tell us more about what happened overnight in Dayton. But I want to ask you, do you believe this is a moment in American history that we are at or should be at a turning point on this question of mass shootings and what to do about them? Of course it is. I, I spoke to the mayor, to Mayor Whaley, the mayor of this great Ohio city of Dayton earlier this morning. And she said she had gotten text messages and emails and calls from, she said, dozens and dozens of fellow mayors around the country, all of whom have gone through this. And, you know, we wake up to to grief and, and sadness about these 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 victims and these families. Um, but it pretty quickly turns to anger that our that our government hasn't done anything. And um, I Mitch McConnell should bring us back into session on Monday. The House of Representatives has passed a background check. We could fly back into Washington on Monday morning. Uh, we could pass the background check bill and people could fly back and be home for dinner. And um, the president needs to sign this bill. We know what to do. Um, we know that background checks worked. We know that uh, that a ban on assault weapons worked. It was bipartisan. It expired. And um, we haven't renewed it. Those are the first two things we should do. And in that sense, it, it could finally put the country on the right path on gun violence. Some of your Republican colleagues this morning, Lindsey Graham uh, in the Senate from South Carolina, Fred Upton, Republican from Michigan in the House, have said that they now are in favor of so-called red flag laws that states use to briefly detain someone who they believe or reasonably believe that the due process applied present a threat to the community for mental health issues. Are red flag laws, in your opinion, also part of this equation? Well, I, I, I wouldn't start with that. I mean, of course, of course, people who have stood with the NRA in their careers will start, they'll deflect into something else. But we know that background checks work. We know that the ban on assault weapon work, weapons worked. It, um, we saw President Bush support the back. You know, th think about this. I mean, we've had look at look at President Obama's response to Sandy Hook in Charleston. Look at President Bush's response um, after 9-11, where he went to a mosque and he said Muslims didn't attack the United States. Terrorists attacked the United States. And and members of Congress need to go back to work in the Senate, go back to work tomorrow, pass the assault weapon ban that the House has passed, get it to the president's desk make sure the president signs it then we figure other things out but that's where we start tomorrow and do it quickly and show the country show the country for gosh sakes that that the that the people representing them in washington don't always kowtow to the gun lobby senator i know that's your point of view that's what you're advocating for 
You have a cell phone like everyone else in America. Are you getting any traffic on your cell phone from the Democratic leadership or anyone else in Washington suggesting to you what you just said is in fact likely to occur? Um, I am not hearing from any of my colleagues yet. I called the mayor this morning, as I told you, the mayor of Dayton. Um, I, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if the gun lobby, the gun lobby seems awfully strong. I mean, I've been, I've had a lifetime F from the NRA in a state that um, elects a lot of people that support the NRA and that the NRA supports. But um, I know you can win elections. You can stand up against the gun lobby and win elections. Um, I, but that aside, when is Mitch McConnell, when is the Republican leadership in the Senate going to actually bring this to a vote? The House of Representatives passed it bipartisan. It's a bipartisan bill in the House. When is the Senate actually going to do it? And tomorrow is the perfect day. I know that the Senate adjourned for August a couple of days ago, but bring us back. Have us do our job. Put this on the floor. We know it works. We know it's only, it may only be a first step, um, but we know it works, and there's just simply no reason that Mitch McConnell won't do that, except Brief, for the gun lobby. Briefly, Senator, you know that some on the pro-gun rights side of this ledger would say those things you outlined wouldn't stop every one of these, wouldn't stop maybe even most of them. Your response? Well, they're not going to stop every one of those. Nobody's ever contended they will. But again, I say that background check checks works. We know that. And the assault on, on the, the, the ban of assault weapons. I mean, this, this, this young man that killed nine people before the police killed him and injured, I believe, more than two dozen, did that in the space. The mayor told me did that in fewer than 30 seconds. That says two things. It says the police in Dayton are terrific, that they responded that quick and saved and it says three things. The police were terrific. That saved, second thing, that saved hundreds of lives. And third, he had enough, he had enough ammunition to kill potentially 100 or 200 people. And that's why you ban the assault weapon. And it worked when we banned it before. It didn't stop every mass shooting. It didn't stop every murder. But a lot of people are alive today because we've had background checks in some places. And a lot of people are alive today because we had an assault ban for, for I believe, 10 years in, in, Ohio, in the United States of America. Senator Brown, Ohio Democrat, thank you. Former Democratic Congressman and 2020 presidential candidate Beto O'Rourke joins us from El Paso. Beto, briefly, you've been there a short while. What have you learned and how long will you stay in El Paso? I just came home yesterday and got to spend time with some of the victims and their families at University Medical Center, not too far from where we are at the scene of the shooting right now. Uh, extraordinarily courageous people and just an amazing, strong community that's coming together in the face of this tragedy. Um, so very proud of El Paso at this moment, though deeply saddened and heartbroken by, by what has taken place in, in this community. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna stay here uh, through the course of the day, continue to visit with families, um, be at a vigil here tonight, and do everything I can to ensure that El Paso comes back as strong as, pass as possible, but also to ensure that we do everything that we can to guarantee that this does not happen again going forward. And it, and it has to go well beyond thoughts and prayers and even beyond sensible gun legislation like universal background checks, like ending the sales of weapons of war. This is really about hatred and racism and intolerance that continues to grow in this country. Hate crimes on the rise for each of the last three years, division being sown by this president, hatred being welcomed during his administration. All of us must stand up against this and for a much better, a much safer country. Are you saying President Trump is indirectly responsible for this? I'm saying that President Trump has a lot to do with what happened in El Paso yesterday. Anybody who begins their campaign for the presidency by calling Mexican immigrants rapists and criminals, anyone who as president describes asylum seekers at the U.S.-Mexico border as an infestation or an invasion or animals, anyone who describes those who do not match the majority of this country as somehow inherently dangerous or defective sows the kind of fear, uh, the kind of reaction that we saw 
in El Paso yesterday. So the, the answer, Major, is, is yes. But it is also something that is much larger than this president and persisted here before his administration. It's up to all of us to put an end to this racism and make sure that we don't just tolerate our differences, but as we've shown here in El Paso, we embrace them as the very source of our strength and our success, and yes, also our safety and our security. You're no longer in Congress, but you have a voice. Should Congress come back to Washington and cancel the August recess to deal with this issue? Absolutely. Um, you know, we're, we're grieving here in El Paso, um, but, but our hearts are also with the people of, of Dayton, Ohio, Gilroy, in, in California, all across this country, in, in mass shootings like those that we saw here in El Paso and the shootings that have become so numbingly common, they don't even make the newscasts or the headlines of, of the daily paper happening one or two at a time. The fact that we will lose uh, nearly 40,000 of, of our fellow Americans this year and every year until we change course demands an urgency that has been absolutely lacking from Congress. So let's follow the lead of, of those students who are marching for our lives. Let's follow the lead of those moms who demand action. Let's follow the lead of those families here in El Paso who I've been listening to who demand the kind of change that we need. Congress should come back in session, pass legislation. The president should sign it into law. But then we must also acknowledge that it has to go beyond that. The kind of hatred and open racism that we're seeing in this country is having not just a corrosive result, it, it's a deadly consequence. And we saw that on full display in El Paso yesterday. One last thing before I let you go. George P. Bush, the land commissioner in Texas, wrote on Twitter, there have now been multiple attacks from self-declared white terrorists here in the United States in the last several months. This is a real and present threat. Your reaction? He's absolutely right, um, but he's got to take the next step and, and describe why that threat exists in this country. Uh, President Trump, who called white nationalists and Klansmen and neo-Nazis very fine people after Charlottesville, who described the countries of Africa as nations who said he wants more immigration from Nordic countries, the whitest places on, on the planet. Um, the president not only tolerates but invites the kind of racism and hatred that, that not only offends us but, but changes who we are as a country and produces the kind of violence that we saw in El Paso. Former Congressman Beto O'Rourke, thank you. We'll be back. Memories make us laugh and cry and sometimes cringe when we look back at our fashion choices. But in between flashbacks of bowl cuts and dad jeans, our memories are fading, and so is the old media that holds them. Hi, I'm Adam Baselogger. And I'm Nick Mako, and we're the founders of Legacy Box. Legacy Box is the easiest and safest way to preserve your family memories. Here's how it works. Fill Legacy Box with your outdated media. We professionally digitize and send them back on DVDs, thumb drive, or the cloud. Look, those forgotten home movies, VHS tapes, film reels, and photos are degrading right before your eyes. Experience peace of mind and enjoy reliving the glory days. Join more than half a million families who have already trusted Legacy Box. Save your memories today. Visit LegacyBox.com save. And for a limited time, get 40% off your order. That's LegacyBox.com save for 40% off. LegacyBox.com save. We turn now to Texas Republican Congressman Will Hurd, who announced this week that he would not run for re-election in 2020. He is the eighth House Republican this year to announce their leaving elected office. And he joins us this morning from San Antonio. Congressman Hurd, good morning. I know you know El Paso well. Your district mm -hmm. is right adjoining to it. I think you have some familiarity with this Walmart, where this massacre occurred. A couple of questions. What have you heard from there? Are you going to El Paso to join the vigil tonight and catch up with your former member of Congress, uh, uh, road trip mate, uh, Beto O'Rourke? Uh, well, first off, uh, thanks for your coverage of, of this tragedy. And for any of your, your folks watching this, this broadcast, if you live in Texas, if you live in Ohio, if you live in New Mexico, go donate blood. Um, you can get on the Red Cross website to figure out how to do this. These communities need um, blood. They're going to need it for the next couple of days and the next couple of, of weeks. And, and also, if you see something on social media of someone talking about doing a heinous crime like this, 
take a screenshot of it and share it with local law enforcement or the FBI's website. Um, we can all be vigilant to seeing uh, this kind of hate and this kind of rhetoric and make sure law enforcement um, has the tools they need or, or the information in order to do something about it. But El, El Paso is, is a resilient community. Um, you have a number of families um, that are still praying and, and worried because their loved one is not out of, the, out of the proverbial woods yet, that are still in critical condition. You know, the, the, the youngest person um, that is injured was two years old. Um, her, his, the, the baby's mother um, was, was killed. Was, she was only 25 years old. Um, you know, you have people that are in their 80s uh, that are going through, um, that are still in, in hospitals um, as well. And so this is, a, this is a trying time, not just for El Paso, but, but the rest of the country. Is this a national moment where the federal legislature should be involved? Do you expect anything to happen over this August recess? or do you expect just five weeks of silence from Washington? Well, the, the, um, the House representatives have passed a, a background um, piece of legislation. I was actually one of eight Republicans that joined in that. We should be preventing um, from putting guns in the hands of people that shouldn't have them. Uh, that's pretty straightforward and simple. But there's other things that we should be, be looking at as well. Uh, why does a young man from the suburbs think this is the way that he should do something? Um, that is a, a trend that we've seen so, so many times. Um, I've learned in, in working with local law enforcement and federal law enforcement over the last couple of days on this issue that federal law enforcement is prevented from searching uh, social media websites, the public facing stuff about um, particular threats. Um, that's something that you don't need legislation um, to, to fix. Uh, when you look at you know, the, the sequence of this attack in El Paso and, and eventually in, in Ohio, um, is there information sharing that could be improved? between the federal government and local law enforcement? Um, does private security in these facilities have the training to do a suspicious activity reports? If they are doing suspicious activity reports, where does that infor information go? Um, how are these folks ultimately getting radicalized? Um, the FBI is going to do their review. Law enforcement is going to do their review. Um, this is an act of terrorism. Um, terrorism is an act where you use violence against civilians for a political end. And initial indications suggest uh, that this is this is based on on race and, and hatred, which would be white nationalist terrorism. Um, why are people being being um, radicalized? Uh, you can go back. Um, um, the, this shooter is in custody. We're going to be able to learn uh, a lot from him. Right. Um, there was a, the shooting in Charleston uh, a number of years ago. Um, that that killer uh, learned he was doing web searches on Trayvon Martin and went down the rabbit hole of, of, of white nationalism and racism and was self-radicalized. Uh, these are some of the issues that we're going to have to review. And, it's, and yes, um, Congress has a role. So does civil society. Uh, so does the media. Um, this is an opportunity for us to focus on what unites us, uh, not what divides us. Congressman, what role does President Trump in play, play in this? You heard your former colleague, mm -hmm. Bedro O'Rourke, say he invites and tolerates racism. I, I think divisive rhetoric is, is not the way to go. I think he's denounced these, these attacks. He has an opportunity to be the uniter in chief, and I hope that's the, the way to go. Um, but we can't just focus on just one person or just one entity. This is a problem that has many sources, and we need to be talking about all those sources in ways that every element of society uh, can work on, on dealing with this challenge. Uh, your land commissioner, George P. Bush, called this white terrorism and says it presents a real and ongoing threat in this country. Do you agree? I, I agree, and, and I would leave the, the analysis of this, this um, current activity and uh, this current shooting in El Paso to the FBI. I know they are evaluating it um, and believing it is, is possibly a hate crime and fueled by this initial indications of this manifesto uh, that the shooter, shooter um, wrote um, suggests that. And if it is, and that is indeed confirmed, then yes, this is, this is white nationalism, terrorism, and this is something that we're 
seeing. And again, I mentioned Charleston um, as a perfect example. I think we don't know enough about what happened in, in Ohio uh, to suggest that that may be something similar. But I know law, local law enforcement and federal law enforcement is going to be turning over every rock and, and pursuing every lead. Uh, but again, I, I think the thing that I've learned in, in my time representing a very diverse district, uh, 71% Latino, a 50-50 district, is that way more unites us and divides us. And when we focus on those things that yep. unite us, uh, we're going to be better off. Congressman, we want to continue this conversation. That's why we're not going to let you go. Please stay right there. We just need to take a quick break, but we'll be right back with Congressman Will Hurd. Please be sure to listen to my podcast. It's called The Takeout, available on all podcast platforms and our digital streaming news service known as CBSN. New episodes premiere every Friday morning. Stay with us. We'll have more of our conversation with Republican Congressman Will Hurd and a conversation with South Carolina Republican Senator Tim Scott. We'll be right back with a lot more of Face the Nation, including our continuing conversation with Congressman Will Hurd, Republican of Texas, and South Carolina Republican Senator Tim Scott, plus our all-star panel. Please stay with us. that all diet and weight loss plans were the same. Well, not anymore, because I found Noom. Noom is a new and totally different approach to losing weight and getting healthy that uses psychology and small goals to help change your habits. So it's easy to lose the weight and keep it off for good. Noom combines the power of technology with real human support, offering as little or as much help as you want along the way. And since Noom is an app, it's always with you and easy to use which makes it super easy to stay on track and reach your goals. Plus, it's really simple to get started. Just go online, answer a few quick questions, and they'll create a personalized program just for you. Noom helped me lose my old way of thinking about food and dieting. So what do you have to lose? Visit noom.com slash podcast, N-O-O-M dot com slash podcast, and start your 14-day trial today. Like they say, change your habits, change your mind, and change for good with Noom. back to face the nation and more with texas republican will hurd so congressman you ran in 2018 as you said it's a very competitive district you won hillary clinton carried your district in 2016 why not run in 2020 are you afraid of the effect that president trump will have on those prospects no i am interested in in helping other candidates like me i, I think i want to see a, a republican party that has more folks that that look and and sound and operate like i do i think it's an opportunity for me uh, to help you know phenomenal candidates like wesley hunt down in houston texas he cares about his country served his country in the military has a beautiful but, young family uh, worked in the the private Sector and wants to continue to serve. Congressman, so, you, so, know yes, that, you know the way to do that is to stay, to raise money, to campaign right. alongside and say, he's joining me, not I'm leaving and he needs to replace me. Well, what I find interesting, and a lot of people have asked me that question, is that everybody thinks the end-all or be-all is actually being in Congress. Uh, the party is defined by the people that are in it, not necessarily the politicians. And so this gives me the freedom and flexibility to operate in other parts of the country. I'm also going to stay involved in that nexus of technology and law enforcement. You can do that outside of the, the halls of Congress. When you look at issues like artificial intelligence, in artificial intelligence, is important because whoever masters it is going to rule the world. Um, and the, the most interesting things that's happening in, in that area is outside of, of the federal government. So I'm looking forward to, to continuing to serve my country. You know, I left a, a job as an undercover officer in the CIA, a job I loved. I got to be the guy in the back alleys at 4 o'clock in the morning collecting on intelligence on threats to our homeland. I left that job in order to help the, the, the national security community in a different way by bringing my skills to Congress, and I'm going to be leaving the halls of Congress to help you know, our country in a different way as well. Before I, so I'm excited about the, the next couple of months because we still have a lot of work to do Congressman in Congress, Hurt. but I'm also looking forward to building a Republican Party of the future. Before I let you go, uh, John Ratcliffe, a colleague of yours, was for a very brief period of time 
suggested by the president to be the new mm -hmm. leader of the director of national intelligence. He's now pulled out. How concerned were you about that potential nomination itself? And how concerned are you about the general state of the intelligence community without a leader and with the president in the White House mm -hmm. appearing indecisive about how to replace outgoing DNI Dan Coats? Well, John Ratcliffe is, is my friend. John Ratcliffe is someone um, that I've been able to talk to as our, in our time on, on the, the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. Um, he has an ability uh, to, to digest vast amounts of, of information, um, which is a skill set that's needed within the DNI. And, and I'm sorry that this thing uh, turned out the way it did. I think Sue Gordon, as an acting director of national intelligence, is an excellent choice. I've had the opportunity to work with her in the different roles she has played in, in national security. Um, but this position of, of director of national intelligence um, has a lot of challenges. Uh, the existential threat that China is playing to us, you know, right. dealing with disinformation and how the Russians were trying to influence our elections, and of course continuing uh, to deal with terrorism overseas right. um, and abroad. Congressman Hurd, thank you very much, and thank you for staying for that extra segment. I want to let our audience know that law enforcement sources tell CBS News the Dayton shooter has been identified as Connor Betts, 24-year-olds from Bellbrook, Ohio. We'll be right back with South Carolina Republican Senator Tim Scott. Are you having trouble sleeping? NFL players have been coached. Blue light from smart devices, it can affect your sleep. They'll even wear blue blocker glasses in the evening for improved sleep. Others will try tart cherry juice and smoothies. Not only can it help fight inflammation, but to help you sleep, it's got high amounts of natural melatonin that's beneficial for sleep. The other night, my girlfriend told me I was snoring way too much and even the earplugs weren't helping. So the next day, she took me to the Sleep Number store because if I was snoring, at least she could get a good night's sleep on a Sleep Number bed. Sleep Number beds allow you to adjust on each side to your ideal firmness, comfort, and support. The Sleep Number 360 smart bed senses your movement and automatically adjusts to keep you sleeping comfortably through the night. With Sleep IQ technology inside the bed, it tracks how you're sleeping so you can know every morning how well you've slept and gain insights for your best sleep. Experience the smart, effortless comfort of the Sleep Number 360 smart bed. Find your competitive edge with proven quality sleep from $999. Sleep Number is the official sleep and wellness partner of the NFL. You'll only find Sleep Number at one of their 575 Sleep Number stores nationwide. Find the one nearest you at sleepnumber.com slash cadence. That's sleepnumber.com slash C-A-D-E-N-C-E. Sleep Number. Welcome back. We turn now to South Carolina Republican Senator Tim Scott, who joins us this morning from Mount Pleasant, just outside of Charleston. Senator, good morning. And I want you to help our audience morning, because you've worked through this. You've been through this as an elected leader and as someone deeply touched in a community that has suffered a mass shooting. Describe for my audience, for our audience, what El Paso and Dayton are about to go through. Well, what a challenging time. Our prayers and our thoughts are certainly with both communities in South Carolina here in Charleston, my hometown, at the Mother Emanuel Church. A white racist walked into the door, sat through a Bible study for more than an hour, and then executed nine members. Uh, my friend Clemente Pinckney was a pastor. My uncle had attended that church for over 50 years, so I am intimately aware of the challenges and the sense of disillusionment that comes in the aftermath. The, the good news for our community was that our community came together through prayer. A lot of folks say that prayers don't matter. Well, I will disagree with them vehemently because of prayer. Uh, the, five, the nine family members forgave the shooter and brought unity into our state in a way that we have not seen in the history of the state, frankly. The Civil War started in Charleston, and to have a white racist walk into a door of a black church to start, according to his objective, a race riot, to have the actual opposite occur because of the power of faith in that church and in our community was fantastic and phenomenal. Uh, walking out of that situation, what we started doing was meeting and talking and finding out where the differences were so that we could challenge ourselves to overcome those differences. And we did something that I thought was incredibly important. We said to each other that when you hear someone who looks like you say something that is out of line or inconsistent or insensitive, make it your responsibility to respond to that individual within your own community. Uh, that really did resonate here at home, and it was very powerful and very helpful because 
when we're looking for ways to address the challenges that our nation is seeing all over the place, one of the things that we do, we must take individual responsibility and speak up when we hear something. Silence in and of itself is a part of the challenge. So we must speak up when we see things that are out of place, when we hear things that are inconsistent with that that's in the best interest of our nation and our communities. Senator Scott, on that topic, you mentioned silence, and that's not acceptable. I want to read to you a quote from a book that just was published by Tim Alberta called American Carnage. It relates a conversation you had with President Trump. I want to quote from it directly. I know what fear looks like. I think fear typically comes with anger and hostility. You're afraid that you're losing something, that you won't have something that you used to have. I think people who march with torches, who want to resurrect a thankfully dead part of who we were, these are people who are afraid. Trump took all this in, rarely interrupting. What can I do to be helpful? He finally asked. What would you say to President Trump this morning about what he has said, the atmosphere he's created, and in his words, what he can do to be more helpful? Well, the first thing I'd say is that we need to take a step back from, the, from politicizing every event. This is an issue of human hate, something that resides in the heart and that is actually, unfortunately, because of social technology and the social media, we're seeing it connected to other folks who have hate in their heart as well. What I'd say to everyone, from the president to, to my house, is that we should take responsibility for how we respond to the situations. I'm thankful that the president's response to this situation has been clear and decisive. I would hope that we would always have that clarity and decisive response in the face of hate and rage and racism. But it goes beyond that. We have to build a better society, a society where we all see that we are in the same boat. Poking holes or shooting holes in that boat only leads to casualties. All of us will be the casualty. Everyone looks in this world to America as the city on the hill, the bright light within the stars. We have to act consistent with our values if we are to maintain the position, not as a superpower economically, but as a moral compass for this world to follow. I think we can do that. I know that we have done it, and I believe that we will do it again. I don't know if you had a chance to hear him, but Sherrod Brown earlier on this program said he hopes the Senate will cancel the August recess, come back and address gun-related issues. Your colleague in South Carolina, Lindsey Graham, tweeted this morning he's now in favor of so-called red flag laws. Do you have any anticipation, Senator Scott, that that will occur? The Senate will be called back this August and any legislative efforts will be undertaken, whether it's assault weapons ban, background checks or red flag laws. Or should they be? Well, Gary, that's a great question, and I don't have a clear answer for that. It's something that I would be happy to do. I'd happy, be happily come back to Washington to have a conversation about gun violence. Right and now. I hope we do it in a very thorough way. I, I'd, do it to, I'd leave tonight. I'll, I'll go tomorrow. It doesn't matter to me. This is such an important issue, and an issue that we sometimes only get part of the picture because of the mass shootings. Uh, I heard one of your guests earlier talk about the fact that we had nearly 40,000 gun-related deaths in this country. That is a staggering number. And when you delve into the numbers, what you find is that 65 to 67 percent of those murders were self-inflicted. They were suicides. When you look at the 250 plus mass shootings in this country this year, about 17 to 20 of them led to the loss of four lives or more. About half of those were suicides and or domestic situations. We are in the midst of of a mental health crisis that we have not truly identified. I am happy to talk about background checks. Uh, I've supported letters to the administration that eliminated bump stocks. I am willing to have that conversation, but let's make sure that we put a fine point on the actual place the numbers lead us, and wherever that goes, we should be willing to take a serious look at it. Just want to make sure I understand you clearly, Senator Scott. Your message this morning to the Senate Majority Leader, Mitch McConnell, is come back, bring us back, and let's have a conversation on these various issues right now. Garrett, it is, it is painful to watch the challenges that I've lived through and to suggest that for some reason we're not willing to go back and confront this major issue in our nation, uh, 
I reject that. I reject the notion that something is more important than saving lives if we can do so. I'm not going to suggest that we will find ourselves on the same page, uh, having the same answers from left to right. But I do think that it is an American crisis that we are part of and that as leaders of this country, we have an opportunity to go back and, and deal with the issue. And I hope that we find the, the resolve to take apart the issue and, and not just deal with one silo. I am willing to look at the entire ugly picture and look for solutions that our nation desperately yearns for. Republican Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina, thank you so very much for your time. And we'll be right back with our panel. What's your next adventure? Everyone deserves a chance to do what they love. Pacific Life helps you reach financial goals while you go after your personal ones. Plans change over time, and your financial solutions can too. Pacific Life has a variety of financial solutions that can help you complement your life goals and passions while managing the uncertainties. Backed by more than 150 years of experience, you can count on Pacific Life to be there so you can go out and keep living your best life. Pacific Life is one of the most dependable and experienced insurers in the industry and has been named one of the 2019 world's most ethical companies by the Ethisphere Institute. The freedom to go after whatever is next for you, that's the power of Pacific. Ask a financial professional about how Pacific Life can help give you the freedom to do what you love. Or visit www.pacificlife.com. As we do every week about this time, we'd like to bring in our panel for some political analysis. Susan Page is the Washington Bureau Chief at USA Today. Jeffrey Goldberg is the editor-in-chief of The Atlantic. Amy Walter is the national editor of The Cook Political Report and the host of the The Takeaway podcast, on conversation rather, on WNYC, which is not to be confused with my own podcast here at CBS known as The Takeout. God, that was a long way around for not very much. Anyway, David Nakamura is also a reporter covering the White House for The Washington Post. Good morning, everyone. I don't need to say it's a tough morning. And I don't want to go through uh, one of these banalities about, well, we're all so concerned. I just want to get a sense from you collectively. I'll start with you, Susan. Our nation's been through this process before. And every time we ask this question, is there a moment? Is this a moment? What do you think? If if 249 mass shootings in the space of a year is not enough to force political change. Why would the 250th one be? Jeffrey reminded me that he and I sat at this table on this panel the morning after the Tree of Life shooting at the synagogue in Pittsburgh, and we had no particular answers then. And I don't know that we have any more answers now about why this would be the turning point that so many Americans say they want to see. Jeffrey? Well, you know, right after Sandy Hook, um, a number of people observed that what we learned uh, is that the country will accept a certain level of child homicide um, in order to have the the, the gun rights that we have in place and other issues. Um, So things didn't change after that. So it's hard to imagine that things change after any particular event. Uh, This does feel a little bit different because it's the confluence of a gun issue and a racism issue, um, and both of those seem to be reaching a boiling point. But it's hard to say that this is a a pivot. We might be pivoting toward an end to euphemism in some way. People seem to be tired of talking about thoughts and prayers. This idea of having a national conversation around every issue seems inadequate to the moment, but we'll see. Amy, do you take anything... Uh, of significance away from tweets this morning from Fred Upton, Republican, Michigan in the House, Lindsey Graham, Republican in South Carolina, talking about red flag laws, finding some place to reposition themselves within this conversation. Well, I also think it goes beyond the legislative, and I think we all around the table know that, too, that the issue really, when we're talking about the consequences of political rhetoric and where the incentives are, People like Will Hurd aren't coming back to Congress, in part, I know he didn't say this, but it it can't be much fun to be somebody like Congressman Hurd. He was one of only three Republicans who sit in a district that Hillary Clinton carried. So now there will be, maybe, after 2020, only two left in districts that Hillary Clinton carried. Those are the folks that bring a diversity of ideas who are there to sort of raise their hand and say, well, it might play in your district, but it doesn't play here, and to bring that kind of conversation. But that doesn't happen anymore. The people who are willing to compromise, those people have all been either defeated or they've left on their own. And so what that leaves us with is an incentive structure in Washington where it's all or none. I mean, this conversation isn't 
in some ways isn't that hard to have, but we can't have it because there's no and or but into the conversation. It's either you have it's either mental health issues or it's we have to get rid of all guns. Right. There's somewhere in between here. And there's also the consequence of the the rhetoric. And I think that's going to be it's obviously been a big issue thus far under President Trump's tenure, but that there are actual consequences to stoking and inflaming. President Trump didn't invent this polarization, but the constant just stoking of it has actual consequences. Absolutely. I mean, this is a president, I think in 2016, there was some general sense with if, the, if there was a president, given his conservative bona fides for President Trump, the way he campaigned, that he could somehow give cover to some Republicans on something like gun control, yeah. find, you know, some common ground, as, as unlikely as that might be, this would be a possible president who could do something like that. He has shown no inclination to do so. Right. The idea being Republicans will follow him just about anywhere, yeah. as will right. the base. And I think what you're right. seeing, though, with this particular case, if this manifesto is indeed tied to the the shooter uh, in the case in El Paso is that uh, President Trump is, this is beyond an issue of, of mass shooting. It's now tied up into questions about white nationalism, about the president's rhetoric, and about Trump, Trumpism in an election year. So the idea that we could move forward uh, and President Trump would be the one to give Lindsey Graham and others the political cover seems extremely unlikely. I'm a little uncomfortable with the word manifesto. I think it invests a kind of uh, credibility that this essay doesn't, I think, warrant. But be that as it may, and once authorities, and they are on this trail now, believe they can confirm that the two are linked. Mm -hmm. In it, it says the increase in Hispanic population in Texas prompted his action, blames Democrat and Republican leaders and corporations for failing the country, specifies that neither President Trump nor any other presidential candidate inspired him, expresses support for the Christchurch shooter in New Zealand. Jeffrey, this is an impossible question to answer, but I'm going to give you a chance. <laughs> oh, thank you. Not what can we, what ought we conclude about it, but what does this tell us possibly that we should think about and maybe act on? Uh, it tells us that that the another term that might be antiquated now is lone wolf. Uh, after you have so many lone wolves, it's a it's a wolf pack. It's not connected in the same way as say ISIS or Al Qaeda structured organizations, but there is a, a common viewpoint shared by different white males in different parts of the world about the condition of the world. Uh, social media has allowed this to uh, to grow mostly unnoticed. Um, people are, you don't need a terror organization anymore when people can connect their ideas to each other across social media, across the internet. Um, and so we're in, a, we're in a completely different kind of challenge for law enforcement where people are neither radicalized by organizational structures, but they're not self-radicalized either. There's so much help. And so, I mean, I agree with you on the manifest. It's a screed. And what it is, is a screed. It's a pastiche of ideas that have been floating around in the netherworld of the internet and and these young minds are putting these ideas together and some are taking action. And we had we had a warning of this last month. The FBI director Chris Ray testified before Congress that the FBI had investigated nearly 100 instances this year of domestic terrorism and most of them were associated in some way with white nationalism. And the only reason this testimony didn't get more attention, I think, is because it was right before Robert Mueller was testifying uh, about the the Russia investigation. But that is a pretty sobering message. Nearly as many examples of domestic terrorism being pursued by the FBI as international terrorism inside our borders. George P. Bush is the land commissioner of Texas, the grandson of George Herbert Walker Bush, the son of Jeb Bush. Very quick on Twitter to describe his career in Afghanistan as a naval officer, quoting him directly on Twitter. There have now been multiple attacks from self-declared white terrorists here in the U.S. in the last several months. This is a real and present threat that we must all denounce and defeat. Amy, do you think that is singularly suggestive of the Bush family writ large? And do you think it will be something that Republicans, like Will Hurd and others, will rally around? So um, George P. Bush is in Texas, a state that is obviously incredibly diverse. If he wants to run for higher office in the state of Texas, he understands and appreciates what that would look like, the coalition that you need to put together to win in a state like Texas, and the age that he is right now is much younger, knowing where we're going, we're headed in the future. So I think he reflects where where the party needs to go. But right now, in the age of Trump, they are in a place where that's not true. I just wanted to give one statistic. Right now, in Congress, 
Republicans represent 83 percent of the of the of the hundred districts with the highest share of native born residents. So places that have the highest share of non-native born residents are held by Democrats. David, it sounds like George P. Bush is thinking about the future and is suggesting with this tweet, it seems to me, and to pick up on Amy's point, that though this may be the current trajectory, he does not believe it is the long-term trajectory. Sure. I mean, there's Democrats who go even back to Obama days that talked about, you know, trying to embed in Texas to help it turn blue. I think, though, and, you know, more immediately, of course, I was reminded just that President Trump himself visited El Paso um, at the same time. He gave a speech there. And if you look, I went and looked back at his speech. It talked about his his immigration agenda, did not mention almost anything about the positive aspects of immigration, certainly, and also, you know, recited a number of statistics that were inflated and inaccurate about the dangers of immigrants and undocumented immigrants. He called Juarez, uh, Mexico, right across the border, one of the most dangerous cities in the world. He inflated the number of murders and violent crimes among immigrants. This is a president, if you, if you think about it, too, beyond just the, talking about a caravan invasion, he talked about an emergency at the border that he had to act. And if you look at sort of the, the language of this, uh, the screed, whatever you want to call it, that's it, that was posted online by the uh, potentially by the alleged shooter. Uh, it, it, it echoes quite a bit of that. Jeffrey, just just a one note on George P. Bush. I, let's let's credit him with electoral acumen, but let's also credit. George P. Bush and other people in the Bush family and other Republicans with being genuinely horrified mm-hmm. by the ethno-nationalist tilt of the Republican Party and especially its president. I mean, I think that there are numbers, large numbers of people, many of whom have left Congress recently, uh, who don't like the way this is going and don't like the association of the Republican Party with a kind of white nationalism. Susan, we know over the long term, we know over the long term, this is a losing proposition for the Republican Party to give up on black members, to give up on Hispanic voters. But what we don't know is whether it works in the short term in next year's election. That's it for us today. As we leave, we want to thank the first responders and authorities who have acted so heroically in both El Paso and Dayton. And to the families and friends, neighbors and acquaintances of the victims, we have our deepest sympathies for your losses. Margaret will be back next week for Face the Nation and Major Garrett. Today's guests were Democratic Senator Sherrod Brown, former Texas Congressman Beto O'Rourke, Republican Congressman Will Hurd, and Republican Senator Tim Scott. The executive producer of Face the Nation is Mary Hager. The broadcast was directed by Allison Hawley. Face the Nation originates from CBS News in Washington. For more Face the Nation, we're online at facethenation.com. You can follow Face the Nation and CBS Radio News on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Face the Nation is also rebroadcast on our digital network, CBSN, at 11 a.m., 3 p.m., and 6 p.m. Eastern every Sunday. If you like Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit Cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Survivor's back and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist, a new co-host, the winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares. Hi! Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast.